men of God, you ready? I think they're prime and front, ready for the word. Amen. 15. Glory to God. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. How are we feeling in our spirit? We're good? All right, good, good. Well, I'm going to talk about the purpose of communion a little bit. But um, whenever, whenever my, um, whenever I'm talking about the word, it's always going to be like in its simplest form, because he says that a child should be able to understand it, and um, and Paul is someone who had all the ability to be as eloquent and astute as he could, because he was he had it. He did the schooling. He did all the things that would uh, give him that ability to do so. But to him, he considered it rubbish, useless. So he would come to them, he said, not an eloquent word. So before I expound on the word, I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Amplified class. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 1. As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence or mystery and secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. And I was in or passed into a state of weakness and fear or dread and great trembling after I had come among you. And my language, my message were not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God, operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers the most holy emotions, and thus persuading them, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, in human philosophy, but in the power of God. Glory to God. So the reason why I say that is because we have a ministry of students, a lot of students, and we know a lot of things. Will we all agree? We have a lot of book knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge of the word itself. But when it comes to something like communion, we have to, in so many ways, set those things aside to appreciate the purity and the simplicity of communion. Because... The whole idea behind my teaching today is to stir up in you the most holy emotions and persuade you simply with the word to consider your position in God or out of God and why, why we do what we are doing today before we take of the sacraments and all that because those are just earthly examples of what's supposed to be happening spiritually, okay? So if you would, I love how Paul starts it off. He started off by saying, brethren. So 
I know I'm minister B, but we are all brothers and sisters in the faith. So there's, there's, there is something to where I don't want anyone to feel like I can't relate, and I'm just giving it towards you. This is for the body. Because when we come in for communion, we have to be able to discern the body. And if we take this unworthily in division or factions, then you don't properly discern the body. Will we agree? So let's go to, it'll be a lot of worry, y'all, so let's we'll run through it kind of quick here. Let's go to Romans 1.16. Because Paul said he came to you knowing nothing except what? Christ and him crucified. All right? So there's a lot of voices in the world. We listen to a lot of different things on the internet and at home and in our own personal study, this, that, and the other. And that's great. But for the sake of today in these next 10 minutes, I want you just to consider what I'm presenting you. And that is simply going to be Christ and him crucified. All right? We're not getting caught up on all the different doctrines and what we don't understand and do understand about the word, but just, just go with me for a little bit and let's make it simple. Like we are just entering the faith because that's when it was exciting. That's when we had a zeal and a love for God, right? When we first had that encounter, before people got into it and before opinions got introduced and all that stuff, we were excited about just being saved. Right. It didn't take much. You just missing Jesus. And we were just all over the place. Agree. So the question is, why don't we feel like that anymore? Right. But we can't stay there because after we identify, why don't we? And then we got to figure out how do we get back to it? So he wrote to the churches. He said, I see all that you do, but you you forgot one thing. You left your first love. And so when you take communion today, I want you to consider your first love. Not the words, not the volume and how I say it, but really consider your first love. And have you left him? And if you have, let's get back to it. Amen? Okay. Minister, if you would. Romans chapter 1 at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. For it is God's power working unto salvation. For deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right. So it says, this is how much the prophet was in there. When she was talking about I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I was like, okay, Lord. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is God's power working unto salvation. The gospel is God's power working to get you saved, right? So, but I love what Paul says, what Holy Spirit says through Paul, a personal trust. It's personal. I was speaking with a man of God this morning. I was saying that when we stand before God, there's, he's not going to accept that somebody didn't deliver the word properly. So that's why I couldn't receive it. So that's why I couldn't do what you asked me to do. He's not going to be able, he's not going to take that, well, you know, this person offended me or this, this happened. He, there's nothing we're going to be able to bring to him for him to say, okay, I understand why. Okay, no, come on in. That's fine. So if that's being said, it has to be personal. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. It's a personal relationship. So how many of us have allowed other people and their opinion or what we didn't understand or interactions or experiences, all those different things interfere with our personal 
trust in God and confidence. Because this is what communion is all about. It's personal. It's got nothing to do with the person beside you if it doesn't start here first. Right? Okay. So let's go to Luke 22, if you would, sir. And Luke 22 is just going to, we're going to talk about, um, it's where we're going we're gonna to use the passage for the Last Supper or, the, or um, the communion. But he's talking to the disciples and what they were doing and what they were discussing and what was taking place even at dinner with Jesus during one of the most intimate times, so much so that we still do it today. But what was taking place around him? And this speaks to the patience, the forbearance, the love that Jesus had, even with his disciples who didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So in certain occasions, you'll see he says, well, how long do I have to bear with you? How long have you been with me? And yet you still don't know because they didn't have the indwelling. So they were still in their flesh. They had head knowledge of the things of God. Will we agree? So this speaks to Jesus and why he is the great example as to how we are to bear with one another. You hear what I'm saying? See, this right here is going to maintain the unity in Christ because he's the great example all the way up to the cross. And he was with, they, how, many, how many people have seen somebody raised from the dead? Nobody, right? Will we agree? But his disciples did. And yet they still denied him. They still didn't trust. Some didn't have a personal trust or confidence in him. Still have people, so Lord, let me thrust my hand into your side to prove that you are really who you are. After they've seen all these great and mighty works. So what type of man was Christ? Knowing that you've seen all these great things, yet you still don't believe. So if Christ can be patient, if Christ can be patient all the way to the cross and after the cross, because he went back to them and they still were like, Lord, let me, let me just make sure. And what did he say? Go right ahead. Now do you believe? But better are those who believe and not seen. See, even with him still not quite believing, you have the other, other man crowd to Christ. He says, Lord, when it came to healing his daughter, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Did he say, because you don't believe? You know, no, I'm done. I'm going to move on from here. He still did it because all you need is just as like, like, like the old saints would say, uh, just a mustard seed, just, just a little bit. And he will use that. So he still took that opportunity to glorify the Father, which ultimately what would have saved that whole family, right? So, Minister, if you would, could you go to Luke 22 and 24 through 32? We're going to sum it up with this. Luke chapter 22 at verse 24. Now an eager contention arose among them as to which of them was considered and reputed to be the greatest. Remember, they're at dinner with Christ, at communion, like right now. We agree Christ is here? Mm -hmm. Okay, we at communion right now with him. This is what's going on. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles are deified by them and exercise lordship ruling as emperor gods over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors and well-doers. But this is not to be so with you. 
On the contrary, let him who is the greatest among you become like the youngest, and him who is the chief and leader like the one who serves. I was right there for a minister. That's actually really all I need from that passage. So we're talking about Christ, right? Now, the disciples, the leaders, the members of the church, whatever you want to call it, because we're all followers of Christ. We agree? Okay. You have some who are doing really good, some who are not so much, right? Just like in any situation. On your job, you got some who have a stellar performance, you got other people who just slide in. But you both still got a job, right? Just like we all still save, right? Right? Y'all got to be a little more confident. We all still save, right? Okay. So... So that being said, Christ in his infinite wisdom, if you read this passage, he addresses anyone who would think that they're way up here, right? And let you know that, no, no, you, you need to bring it down. But if you're real low, he lets you know, no, you are worth something. You do mean something. So you're equally as important. And so where we get tripped up in our working out our salvation on our way to Shemayim, is we get tripped up with what appears to be great and what appears to be the least. And where do I fit? Am am I the greatest or am I the least of them? No, what you are is saved. Now let's get to work. Will we agree? Because that's the warfare. That's the warfare. It says in a a contention, you go to another translation, excuse me, and it tells you that this was not the first time that this arose. You know why? Because you had three that were with Jesus everywhere he went. He didn't take all 12 up to the mountain. He took three. So what do you think the other one said? Then you read in some translation, says the one whom Jesus loved. You, you, you ask him, what's he saying when he says that? So how do you think that, what do you think his thoughts were? I know Jesus loves him. Right? But that, that's, I'm just trying to help us understand who we are individually so that we can operate corporately amen Amen. Amen. is that there is no the psalmist saying great but he's no greater than janae whether you just got saved or whether you've been saved for 30 years there's no to god there's no variance there 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 is no there's none of that for him not in god because everything that we are and we accomplish and we think that we are or we present ourselves as being or on the other side, that we see people as they are and this, that, and the other. It's like, man, I wish X, Y, Z. No, no. That is what you call a distraction. Let's focus on the assignment that God has given you so that we can operate as a unit effectively and not dysfunctionally. Amen. And what we're doing corporately and as a unit today is communion. So when we partake of these spiritual symbols, right? Understand that you just got here, but you're just as important as me. You're just as important as Al. Eric, you're just as important as Pastor. Unsent, you're just as important as Tiffany. And let's stop letting the enemy have that power. Let's take it back from him. There is no such thing as factions. Paul addressed that thing. There is no such thing as who is the greatest. Jesus killed it right then and there. If you think you're the greatest, then you need to serve even more. And then I'm going to finish with this. At the end of this passage, he says this. He deals with it. He says, okay, 
Who is greater, the one that sits at the table and eat or the one that brings the food? He said, the one that sits at the table. You're right. You're right. I, this is my house. You're right. He said, but as for me, I serve you. I know who I am. But even with knowing that, Paul says he did not seek that position. He did not seek divinity, right? He says, but instead, he, 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 he was lowly in heart. So he still dealt with the natural aspect of, yeah, you're right. You see these things, yeah. But it doesn't matter because what does that profit a man? What does that profit you? If I, if I stay and I walk in my divinity and never let you see the humanity side of me, you would have nothing to latch on to. You have nothing to understand. You wouldn't have anything. So this is where we get caught up is our understanding of who we are in the kingdom of God. That's not of this earth. So let's stop looking at earthly things that define where we think we are. And let's look and focus on things above, like the scripture says. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Well, at this time, if we would just all stand, we're going to begin to partake. Thank you, sir. I believe Minister Gray is going to direct everyone. And at this time, if you don't know certain people, it's your first time seeing each other, say hello. Smile, say hello. Because when they were at dinner, they were communing with each other as well. They were reclining. They were talking about the word. They were talking about the goodness of God. They were enjoying each other. It was a celebration. Back, sir. 
Minister, if you would go to uh, Luke 22, uh, we're going to be 19 through 20. I guess I'll read that. I come up here, I'd be nervous like it's my first time. Every single time. Over here with the cup, like. <laughs> I got tremors. <laughs> All right. So, everybody's been served? Glory to God. All right, here we go. So, we're coming out of Luke 22, verse 19. And it says, Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we. In a like manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a New Testament or covenant ratified in my blood, which is shed, poured out for you. And they drank. Glory to God. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you right now. Father, as we have partaken of what you said we should do in remembrance of you, Father, we thank you that our mindset is to truly understand you and your sacrifice. We thank you for an intimate revelation in relationship with you, Father. We thank you that this is just not a natural occurrence, but it is, in fact, a spiritual matter. And we take it very seriously, Father, that you would leave us such an intimate thing that we could do with you, even after you've left this earth, Father. And we just thank you that we continue to be the representation to those who are lost and have not seen you, that they would see you in us, Father, that we carry the gospel, which is the power unto salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excellent teaching. Excellent. My goodness. My goodness. Y'all may be seated in heavenly places again. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mario. Perfect spring. <laughs> Let's see. Let's check it out. There it is. All right, we're now, we're now all leaning all over. So, all right. Man, all right. You can tell when communion is. All right, chips and dip all on the floor. All right. <laughs> Man, good to see everybody. Excellent teaching. Excellent teaching. Excellent delivery. Man, my goodness. If y'all want to tighten up, you can. I mean, I mean like folks up close. Is that everybody just sitting there? <laughs> Hold on, teacher. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you, you're supposed to be men, tentative. Oh, my God. Check her out. Y'all supposed to do that, man. 
Oh, we're talking about relationships, right? Uh, that's what communion really is all about, too. The ultimate relationship. Yeah? With your Savior. Man. Everybody doing good? Y'all come to learn today? We're talking about relationships and marriages. It's so important. It's so important to understand the dynamic of husband and wife. Man. I didn't plan this. The Holy Spirit did. Uh, God is good, though, isn't he? I love the energy and what the prophetess was saying. I mean, that was a communion message. Y'all got two. And it just shows the relationship. It shows a person's prayer life that we all have. Prayer is so powerful. I mean, do we really understand? If that was the case, if we really understand, we'd be praying more. Okay. All right. The disciple said, Jesus, Yeshua, teach us how to pray. Because if you read the scripture, they were actually watching him. They saw his routine. He would get up about three o'clock and go out and pray. But they were watching him. Teacher, out of all the things that the disciples saw him do, raise the dead, open blind eyes, heal the sick, the leper. They didn't walk on water. They didn't ask him to do anything. They didn't ask him to do none of those. They asked him, teach us how to pray. Oh, that's going to hit somebody in a minute. All the miracles, everything they saw him do. They didn't say, teach me how to do that. They said, teach me how to pray. Because his relationship was so intimate with the father. See, you get caught up on the miracles. Instead of the relationship that he had. This is why they said, teach me how to pray. Because if you got me in that prayer mode, oh, that's how that comes. That's, that's how that works. Oh, we, now, see, we don't value that because you don't get up and pray like that. You just get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go to the bathroom. You think you just got to go to the bathroom. She get up. That's letting you know. But you got to be sensitive to the spirit. Come on, teacher. All the things. This is what they were watching him do. There's nothing wrong with corporate prayer. That's great. But it was the personal prayer is what they saw, that he would go off and pray to the Father. That's where the power is. In intercessory prayer, we come to get instruction on what to pray for for the nation. For the heart of God. Do y'all understand this? This is how important prayer is. Teach me how to heal the sick. Teach me. No. Teach me how to pray. Okay. Hmm. Where do I go? 
Uh, I was talking to some of the men yesterday. Can I share just a little few with you before I get into it? I was talking to some of the ministers yesterday, right? When we was working out at Let's Live, by, built by B. Yeah. Getting it in. Yeah. All right, all right. Some of y'all know what that is. All right. Anyway. So. <laughs> and I, I had posed a question to them. <laughs> I said, can I share? Okay. When you, everybody want to lose weight. So when you lose weight, where where does the fat go? <laughs> I mean, good God. Where does the fat go? Everybody's saying all these things. You, you know, you expel it and you go to the bathroom and you do all those things and all this, you know, sweat and energy and all this. Where does it really go? Where does those fat cells go? I'm going to get to the point. Trust me. I always do. They was like, plainly tell us, Lord. Plainly tell us yesterday. Don't just keep doing y'all this. This is like Jesus said. Plainly tell us where the Father, who is the Father. Just plainly tell us. They were like, no, I'm going to tell you, but it's on the journey. So they're dragging it out. I'm trying to get you to think. I'm trying to get you to focus. Okay? So they said, well, you know, all those things. And I said, no. I'm going to give them the short today. I'm going to try. So I said, well. Where does it go? So it, it goes out of you. It, the molecules, the cell, all of that goes out of you. The fat cell goes out of you in your breath. Oh, they like, what are you talking about? In the form of carbon monoxide. You know that thing that'll kill you? Right? Okay. So fat. Can kill you. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it's deposited in the wrong places, like your heart, I'm working on it. Watch this. So, that's how the fat, you know, 84, 86% of the fat is in carbon monoxide, but 16% of it is in water. Yeah, you sweat, you know, and your urine, all those type of things. It comes out, but 86% of them fat cells come out of your breath. Everybody just said, I'm going to lose weight because I'm going to sit here and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it don't work like that. Not quite. Almost. But you need high intensity to expel more of the carbon monoxide. Okay. They're like, what's and I asked him, I said, well, where do you get your energy from? Well, it's, it's calories. That's where you get your energy from. If your food is calories. So, no, but when you eat that food, does it turn? What happens to it? It comes out. <laughs> the Bible even talks about that. It goes in the man's mouth. It comes. Okay. But that's the byproduct of the energy. So what feeds the corn? What feeds the vegetable? And I asked him, what is it? What feeds that? Sun. So the energy, it's not calories. The energy that you're eating is the sun. The waste is the byproduct 
of the material. Yeah, it's photosensitive. But I'm telling you, so you're really eating the sun. Your energy comes from the sun. Your energy, your life comes from. Ah, see, see, they come on the S O N, but he, but he feeds you with the S U N. It's light. You're eating light. Basically, you're eating light. Sunlight is how the plant gets its nutrient. That's how you get the energy from the food that you eat. He said, he'll make, he said, I'll make from the, I'll make my presence known just from the creation. So the only true way that you can get vitamin D is not by taking 5,000 milligrams. It's by being exposed to the ultraviolet rays of the sun. That's how he feeds your cells. But men still deny God. And it's plain to see. In the very chemistry, very biological makeup, material of who you are, tells you who I am. I am God. And God alone. Can't no man do that and explain that to you. Now, I put it, made it plain in my creation. Now, but you're listening to much of man's wisdom and knowledge. That's earthly. He made it plain and clear the very Food that you eat is me. How you get it into you is me. Oh, just just some very simple photosynthesis. How and you can you can watch it, the whole cycle. You're eating energy. You're eating light. You're eating light. In simplest form, minister, you're eating light. No, but you call it calories. That's where the energy, that's the calorie intake of the food consumption that you have. It's energy. That's what calories are. Now you got all the synthetic stuff. And it doesn't produce a seed. GMOs don't produce a seed. And Bible says that everything's supposed to produce after its kind. So GMOs don't produce after its kind. Because it has no seed in it. See, we, we think we're so smart. I don't believe in God. But the sun is feeding you. You could take it to S-U-N or S-O-N. But the sun is feeding you. All right, all right, man. Shoot. And how deep can we go? Y'all be like, don't pass talk about I want to talk about my marriage. I am talking about your marriage. It needs the sun. Ah. Oh, y'all not even getting it. Mm. Oops, slip that one right up on in there. Mm-mm. Oh. <laughs> Woo! Can we do this thing? All right, let's do this thing. Come on, let's talk about this. We got, we got to get these marriages on tack. <sighs> okay. Minister, go to Matthew 19, 
through 10 through 12. Amplified. All right. Matthew chapter 19 at verse 10. The disciples said to him, if the case of a man with his wife is like this, it is neither profitable nor advisable to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this, saying, but it is for those to whom the capacity to receive it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born incapable of marriage, and there are eunuchs who have been made so by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves incapable of marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let him who is able to accept this, accept it. So there's three types of eunuchs there. Normally we just think there's one type of eunuch, right? Man that's been castrated, right? <laughs> but there's a eunuch that one has chosen not to marry. That's a eunuch too. And most of your eunuchs were in the, they were in the higher the council, in the higher part of the government. Most of your eunuchs. So, so they weren't distracted by sex. So they can focus on the actual, the governing of the kingdom. Okay, I'm just saying. We, we read this, we get a lot of things mixed up. And then there's some that were born. That way, you, you can have that some people just not going to get married. And then some that are castrated by men, enslavement. And, and the thing of it is, it, it's supposed, it, everything is supposed to produce at this kind. So they're having a discussion here about marriage. He's saying, wait a minute, there's some hard things you, there's some hard things about marriage you're not going to understand. I'm going to try to break it down as simplest form as I can. Okay? Oh, man. I mean, you got, you got, you got over 30-year study. You got PhD psychiatrists, and 51% of them, as I was telling you, are highly educated, but 51% of them are in divorce. The person you're going to get help from. Hmm. About your marital problems. Marriage, we got to talk about this. Seems to be the issue. Mm-mm, teacher. Oh. Talk about them eunuchs there in a little bit. Hold on. All right. I like that he says. It said right there in verse 11, he says, All cannot receive the same. This is what he said. What same? The saying that a man and a wife are to cleave to one another. They are to be totally united together as one flesh. Wherefore, we are no more twine, but one flesh. That's Matthew, same chapter, 5, nine, five, five through 6. This saying that is God and God alone who can join together a man and a wife. Hey, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm going to get there. Play close attention. Two things cleave. 
listen, two things, two things, these two things cleave or cleaving and God himself are the two essential, these are the two essentials for a true marriage. There's a difference. Okay. You, you, could, you can have believers and you can have, you know, false believers, you know. So you can have a marriage, but you can also have what God calls a true marriage. Okay. And he wants a true marriage. All right. I feel like I'm too far. Come up a little bit here. All right. All right. Because I got to read some stuff here. Y'all ready? All right. Here we go. We're going to find out some things today. I got some good stuff here. Many are living together who refuse to cleave and refuse to let God join them together. Mm -hmm. They are not willing to cleave, nor are they willing to let God make them one flesh. They're not willing to let God join them together. Okay? Man and woman can only cleave and join themselves together physically. God is not needed for a purely physical union. If a married couple wishes to wishes more than a physical union, they must turn to God. He alone can join them together as a couple spiritually. Mm, yeah. Really? Let's find out some things here. Cleave. To join. Fast together. To glue together. To cement together. To be joined in the closest union possible. To be bonded together. To be totally united together, that the two become one. Therefore, to cleave means a spiritual union. Let me say it again. To cleave means a spiritual union. It is a union higher and stronger than the union of parent and child. What could be stronger than that? Okay, listen to this. It is a union that means more than living together, more than having sex and bearing offspring, which is very important, though. OK, I'm going to show you that in the scripture. You know, y'all know animals do this, too. Right. It's a union that listen. It is a union that is wrought. Now, I'm going to show you something here. Why you can't find something when you're always looking for it? Look at all that turning the paper. He's trying to find it. He's trying to find it. Uh, I had it in here. It's somewhere. Well, rot means this. Rot means shaped, formed, Hammered out. Okay? So when you see that word wrought, that's what it means. It means hammered. Okay, now listen. 
It's a union. Now put that in context. It's a union that is wrought by God and God alone. You got to do some hammering. Oh, man, y'all didn't get this thing. It is a spiritual union that takes place above the physical plane. Okay? It is a spiritual fullness, a spiritual sharing of life together. A dedication, a consecration, a completion, a satisfaction that makes a person the exclusive possession of God and their spouse. I'm talking about cleave. Okay. Such a cleaving or spiritual union is wrought, as I said, hammered by God and by God alone. Both husband and wife must be willing and submissive for God to bring about such a cleaving to their lives. Y'all got y'all missed that word there. The husband will have to be, both of them have to be submissive to God. See, we're not doing marriage right. We're not doing marriage right. For such a cleaving in their lives, submitting yourself, uh-oh, one to another in the fear and trust of God. No, we don't. No, we do not. Mm. Hold on, teacher. This is. There are three unions within a true marriage. Okay? There are three unions within a true marriage. That's the key word, true. A marriage that really cleaves and is really joined together by God. There is a physical union, the sharing of each other's body. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. You don't have to go there. Physical sharing cannot reach its ultimate fullness unless it is experienced while conscious of God's warm and tender mercies. So even in your physical, it's still not to its potential. Oh, marriage is serious. Okay, all right. Jeez, I'm about to say that again. All right. All right. I said, there is a physical union, the sharing of each other's bodies. The sharing of each other's bodies. So you don't control your body if you read that scripture. Yours is not yours, and yours is not his, is not his. Yours is his, and his is hers. Y'all got it? <laughs> the physical sharing cannot be, cannot reach its ultimate fullness unless it is experienced with the conscious or the consciousness of God's warm and tender mercies. That's Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. We don't have time to read all that today. I don't have time for a whole lot today. All right. This is the mutant, number two, this is the mental union. The sharing of each other's lives and dreams and hopes and the working together to realize those dreams and hopes. Y'all hear that? Y'all hear that connect the word? Working together? For your hopes and dreams? Oh, we got some stuff here. Y'all just wait. Mm -mm. Just the appetizer. Okay? It's important to know that this union still deals only with the physical and material world. 
Then third one, there is the spiritual union, the sharing and melting and molding of each other's spirit. Mm-mm-mm. Somebody saying, this is a lot of work, Pep. No, it's not. This is what God expects. Amen. This can be wrought, hammered by God, only by God. Did y'all hear that? The melting and molding of each other's spirit that is wrought by God and God by, only by him, God alone. Therefore, there has to be a sharing together with God for there is to be a nourishing and a nurturing of the spirit. We're not tentative. Because we don't understand there's no value to your wife or your husband. Mm-mm, there's no value. You haven't ascribed any value. This is why you can do and say anything that you want. Because it's really how you feel. And you haven't consulted how God feels. God is against divorce. He is. That's a whole nother subject. I want, it's a whole nother subject like, you know, do you, when, you're, when you're single and you're a believer, do I marry somebody who's not a believer? Actually, the scriptures say you shouldn't. Actually, they say you shouldn't. But that's a whole nother teaching. But I'm <laughs> just trying to say it saved a whole lot of trouble. Right. And then it also says he's good to dwell with. See, we don't, we don't understand really what that means. That means that he don't have to be a believer, but he's supposed to support you in everything that you're doing for God. Yeah. Even if he don't believe, he is supposed to support you in every endeavor that you do for God. Because that one person in the home, not only that, but sanctifies the whole house. Yeah. Your children now are now are not unclean, according to scripture. Because one is sanctified. This is serious. Woo. That's a whole nother teaching. We have to get in that because we're like, what are you doing? This is what the whole problem with the Corinthians were. They were, they were, they were heathens. They were getting in all these situations, you know, and this is why you're hearing this scripture now, because they were saying, well, we're saved now and she's not saved. So I'm going to divorce her. No, no. We both were heathens and we came into belief. Together. And one of us came and one of us didn't. Then they say, oh, we should divorce you. No, you, no, no, no. Mm-mm. No, that's when you're supposed to be patient now. And the sanctified, set aside wife sanctifies the husband. But she got to be 100. And the husband can do the same thing, but he got to be 100. Mm. That's the word. Oh. <sighs> But if he's not there or she's not there, then she, the Bible said that for you to be with him, he's supposed to support you or her is supposed to support you in every endeavor that you do for the kingdom. Without excuse. That's the word. All right. Thought I put that out there. Make it plain and clear. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to shave some time. I got to save some time off right quick. Hold on. All right. <laughs> Someone tell that. Amen. <sighs> okay. <sighs> yeah. Let me. Mm. Oh, teacher, I wanna, I wanna go a little further, but I can't because I gotta really save my time. Okay. 
No. Uh, okay. But I got to get to some points today. Okay. We got to get to some points today. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Y'all hold on, okay? I got you. I won't let you down. I won't. I promise you I will not. Okay, here we go. Mm. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus was saying in verse 11, not everyone is ready for this. And this was that marriage. Marriage is such a beautiful idea. Only God himself could come up with it. Marriage. Marriage is God's product. God's ideal. Marriage was not created by the government or Congress. Yet they all in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. No one should be tampering with God's product. This type of tampering causes social failure. Mm-mm. Social failure. You know, when you buy a product and it fails, you have that little tag that says, take back to the authorized dealer. Mm-hmm. The one who manufactured it. Do not take this product to an unauthorized dealer. If you take it to an unauthorized dealer, I will cancel your warranty. This is what humanity is doing with marriage. They're taking it to the government. To establish what you should and shouldn't do in your marriage. They are overriding the manufacturer of marriage. Y'all got it? It's real simple. Mm. So, stop taking your marriage to unauthorized dealers. To try to fix... That's your mama, your dad, whoever. Stop trying to take it. Don't take it there. Don't do it. Woo. Yeah, that's what's wrong. That's, that messed up your marriage. Now, I'm a pastor who know what it's like to be divorced. I've been there. So I can talk about it. I've been in blended family. So I can talk about it. I'm qualified. And that's the thing you make. You gotta make sure your pastor qualified for your wilderness journey. You get a pastor that ain't ain't done nothing, ain't went through nothing, just privilege. How he gonna help you? Mm, ain't been through nothing. Can't help you. He's scared just like you are. All right. <laughs> Sometimes these products can't be fixed. I am. So when you read the Bible, it doesn't begin with the church or government or college education. The first institution God created was marriage, which is the foundation of all relationships. Okay, all right. The kingdom of God regulates the relationship we 
have by the standards of our government. Our government regulates our standards of what is, ex what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Okay? Uh, I'm hoping that. That's real important to remember. <laughs> so marriage is the first kingdom institution. All other institutions came from one, which was marriage. That's right. Have you ever had a part from something else and tried to make it fit yeah. <laughs> or work with something that it wasn't designed to work with? Y'all yeah. listen closely. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I'll just MacGyver it and Jimmy rig it. <laughs> it worked for a little while. Yeah? <laughs> but it fails. This is how some of our marriages are. Wrong pieces to match with your future and your destiny. Mm -mm. I got more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, wrong pieces. Sometimes it's just that small little part that doesn't fit. You can't force that part to fit. No, but the sex was good, Pastor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, but he got a lot of money. Okay. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And money can wear out. Okay. And so can the sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He got a good job, but you can lose that job. <laughs> what about if you lose your job? Okay, all right, here we go. I'm going to help y'all. Okay, here we go, here we go. Y'all got to give me a little time, so... Work with me. Buckle down. Stretch yourself. All right. This is important. All right. That part is not working. It's malfunctioning. A successful marriage is only possible within the kingdom culture. A successful marriage. You could be like, oh, their parents are together, you know, you know, 50 years and Oh, they've just been so good they haven't done anything. If he's not saved, or she's not saved, no, none is good. Mm -mm. What about Papa Thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, but he's a good guy. All right. And God calls culture, listen, is with, listen, and God calls in this culture, <laughs> listen to this, <laughs> is one man and one woman. Okay. It just don't even make sense. It don't even make sense. I'm going to show you why it don't make sense. It's with one man and one woman. That's in the kingdom. You can't make it in the kingdom. That's what. Okay. He made parts. And he knows where those parts go. He's the manufacturer. Y'all listen to me. He designed the parts. He knows where the parts go. He's the manufacturer. He's the designer. 
Right? Amen. See? <laughs> See, what happens is the culture try to change the parts. The culture is changing the parts. Don't listen to this. Don't listen to this. This is why relationships, those relationships never work. From a physical perspective. Pay attention back there. If your purpose was to have breasts, you would never need any hormones to have breasts. If that was your purpose. From the manufacturer who designed you. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't need any hormones. If you were supposed to have something, you wouldn't need an operation. He's the designer. Okay. Mm. 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 See, all of that, snipping and tucking and all of that, <laughs> this is men trying to make the parts fit. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. This ain't your product. Go to Genesis 2.22. Y'all going to let me finish this. I'm almost there. Y'all just, just roll with me. Trust me, it's going to be good. Air is right. Temperature's good. Ain't no crying babies. It's good. Glory to God. Go to, go to, go to Genesis 2.22. Genesis chapter 2 at verse 22. And the rib, or part of his side, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he built up and made into a woman. Mm. And he brought her to the man. Go ahead. Now, the word brought there means that it means display. Mm. And I told you, God does not choose your spouse. So anybody come and tell you that God said this is your spouse, not true. <laughs> I know some of you have been victims of that. The Lord told me this is your husband, and yet you're not married. Okay, all right, okay. If he did, he would violate your will. If he chose, he would violate your will. Okay, all right. Verse 23. Read that again, read that. Verse 23. Then Adam said, this creature is now bone of my bones. Mm. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of a man. Mm. And he called her woman. 
See, in the Hebrew, what you name, you own. Mm-hmm, that's right. Got a witness right here. That's the Hebrew concept. Like when you get married and your wife takes on your name. Mm -mm, hold on. Okay. <laughs> Listen, when I got married, teacher took on Walker. I own that name. You own white. You own, listen, Walton, you own that name, men. So when I call you, when I marry you, you now are owned. Because I own my name. You're now owned by that name. Okay, y'all that plan. Am I helping anybody? Okay, all right, I'm going to help y'all. I'm going to help y'all with that hyphen too. I'm going to help you with that hyphen. Mm -hmm. I ain't going to ask. I ain't going to ask. Mm -mm. See? She is now Miss Walker because I own that name, and she is mine for life. No, you can do what you want to do and change the order thing, but I'm going to help you with that too. God's not playing with marriages. Okay. All right, teacher. Let me get this thing. Yo, they doing good today. Woo! Anybody thirsty, get them some water. All right, here we go. Going to help some people. There's no hyphen. It's not Melvin Walker, uh, Walton Walker. Or whoever else named it was there, Stevenson or whoever else. So, so if teacher had hyphenated her name, that would mean that she was not completely submitted. Mm -hmm. Because she's still holding on to her father's name. And the Bible said you are to leave your mother and your father and cleave to your husband. You're not totally mine. Mm-mm. Now you're going to mess with my psyche. Mm -mm. Now you're going to mess with, you're not really mine. You, you know, I got to put your, mm -mm, no. No, she Miss Walker. All right. Mm -mm -mm. So watch them hyphens, man. If she's talking about she still want to keep that, mm-mm, mm-mm. Signal flag. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Just in case. Nah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And if you took it as name, take your name back because you're no longer underneath that authority. Get your name back. But if you haven't, then that's on you. I'm just telling you. All right. <laughs> Glory to God. Woo! 
I'm no longer his property. I'm no longer his property. I'm not under. Okay. All right. Okay. See, in the Hebrew, the minute you name it, not only the minute that you name it, you're now responsible for it. Now, I'm totally responsible for you. You took his name, then he is totally responsible for you. Your emotional care, your mental care, your physical care, he is now bound by his word, his name, to take care of you. Am I helping out some of the men? Oh, so you got a powerful, you don't understand who you are and your name. You own your name. Your name will go down to your son and your name will be mighty in the earth. Your seed will. See, you don't understand your name. Power of that name. My goodness. Jesus, let me get this thing out of here. Adam, Adam said you should be called woman. Adam said you should be called woman. And then Eve. Y'all missing it. He first said you should be called woman, but then you should be called now Eve. She went from woman to wife. Mm-mm-mm. Because what he named, he's responsible for now. And he owns. Mm-mm. Your kids, you can't have somebody else's name. All right. Almost there. Almost there. Woo! Here we go. Y'all got that? <laughs> Good gracious. <sighs> so kids, since we're talking about kids, minister, go to Malachi. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Hold on. Before we go there. Hold on. Before we go there. Listen to this. Can I, can I just go back to cleave just for a minute? Cleave means also to, listen, follow hard. Overtake. Stick. Keep fast together. Abide. Close. Joined. Pursued. Take. This is what cleave means. This is what Adam was supposed to do. He was supposed to, uh-oh, chase her. He was supposed to pursue her. No, y'all missing it. Y'all missing it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. See, we thought that we were supposed to chase her before you got married. No, no. Read Genesis 2.24. We thought we meant to chase after her to marry her. That's what we thought. You got it? Read it. Genesis chapter 2 at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall become united and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Is supposed to pursue her after 
the marriage. No, no, the marriage then was arranged. No, after he said, I do. Now the chase begins. Uh-oh, come on there. Oh, she adjusting her seat. This is like teacher. All right, here we go. Mm. My thing is, and that is chase. Pursuit means to chase after, right? That means I, I, I need the women to stay chaseable. If you were managing your weight before the marriage, after the marriage, you should be managing even more. The chase doesn't start before. The chase be, the chasing begins after. After. That's my wife now. That's wife. It didn't say fiance. Cleave to his wife. Cleave means to pursue. Follow hard. Okay. See, we, we got it all wrong. Americans. See, we don't even know how to act in the kingdom. Okay, here we go. Can we, we're going to get this thing. Y'all, y'all ready? Come on, just stay tight with me. I need the women to stay chaseable. Mm. I told you, if you watch the weight before, you should watch it even more after. Mm-mm. Got to make sure he don't get that eye. That eye. See, but that's a whole other subject. We're going to get in. We can stay there for a while, right? Mm. Y'all want me to keep going? Okay. And the Bible says that they become one flesh. And the Bible says that they become one flesh. They become. They become. That means there's a process. And they become one flesh. Becoming is a process. Okay. Uh So when I say I do, at the altar, you're not one flesh then. No, you're not. You're not one flesh when you say, I do. Okay. Mm-mm. Guess that's the beginning of the process. Amen. <laughs> the only reason marriage seems to be complicated is because the lack of knowledge. Mm-mm. And wisdom. Oh, did y'all hear that? When you say I do, that is not, you're not one flesh yet. That's just the beginning. It's the process. Okay. Whew. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't know. Why? I got something for that too, teacher. Listen to this. In other words, in other words, you, you need to have someone as an example to glean from. You can't wing marriage. Mm-mm. The become is the process it takes a while if you have a lot of determining factors in the flesh. Okay. Woo. Personality issues, physical issues, emotional and mental issues. These things can slow the process of becoming one flesh down. Yes, yes. Decades. Decades. Mm-mm. No, but the biggest investment you're ever going to make is a house. How dare you? 
No, the biggest investment is who you're going to share the rest of your life with. Okay. Woo! Here we go. Watch this. Watch this. Here we go. Y'all, let me finish this. This is going to be good. Stay tight. Y'all pray for pizza. Genesis 2.25. Go ahead, 2.25. Come on, teacher. 25. 25. 2.25. Genesis chapter 2 at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not embarrassed or ashamed in each other's presence. Don't take that lightly. It simply means there was no guilt. Oh, man. <laughs> and there's no guilt. There's no guilt in my exposure of who I am. So y'all just keep thinking it's physical. Okay. It's exposed. Mm -mm. And if you and if it is physical and you are ashamed of your <laughs> how you look something's wrong then he didn't marry you for the right reason then if you feel guilty naked before him mm. and they were naked innocent they had done nothing wrong in the eyes of God total freedom you're standing in front of God in perfection yeah? Oh, man, come on. It's God's ideal in context for the human. Marriage is this. Marriage is the first foundation of family. It's God's ideal context or context is for human social development. A nation simply is a collection of families, and a nation is only as strong as their marriages. This is why it's so important. So when a marriage is destroyed, the country, the community is being destroyed. Mm. Yeah. This is why God did not play with adultery. He knew it would destroy the commonwealth or the community and the nation. This is why the penalty was death. He gave death as his penalty. Marriage is designed to keep us safe. Marriage is designed to keep us safe mm, mm, mm. and away from destruction. That's what marriage is designed to do. Oh, come on, y'all. In God's plan, marriage is supposed to produce more believers, more witnesses of God. Okay, now go to Malachi 2.15. Almost finished. Malachi chapter 2 at verse 15. And did not God make you and your wife one flesh? Mm. Did not one make you and preserve your spirit alive? And why did God make you two one? Because he sought a godly offspring from your union. Therefore, take heed to yourselves 
and let no one deal treacherously and be faithless to the wife of his youth. Did y'all hear that? Mm -hmm. I think we need to hear that one more time. Why? You got married. Come on. And did not God make you and your wife one, one flesh? Did not one make you and preserve your spirit alive? And why did God make you two one? Because he sought a godly offspring from your union. Mm. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and let no one deal treacherously and be faithless to the wife of his youth. My goodness. So in Malachi 2.15, the men of Israel were guilty of being unfaithful to their wives. This is what this is about. So you make sure you got to know the backdrop of what's going on. They were being unfaithful to their wives. They were committing adultery with unbelieving foreign women and marrying them. They were divorcing their own Jewish wives to do so. Malachi strongly condemned these men. God's not playing about his covenant. When you get married in the kingdom, you are actually, you are actually, now listen to this, calling God to be a witness. You're in the kingdom now. See, your vows are not to each other, it's to God. And you called upon him in this union saying, God, be my witness <laughs> to my vow. Oh, man. See, we don't take these vows. So we don't take them. Nobody, you don't get the proper training when you're about to get married. No, we're going to make sure you are in the right place and you understand why you're getting married. Oh, you waste so much time, pain and turmoil and hurt because of that vow that you made. Easy to get in, but hard to get out. Mm, mm, mm. You don't even need a lawyer to get married. But you need one to get out. My goodness. Listen to this. So you're actually saying, God, be my witness of my vow to you. I mean, you're talking about truth. Listen to that. You ask God to be a witness to your behavior. You asking God when you when you got married as a king, you asking God to be a witness to your behavior, to your obedience. And you do what you want to do, no matter the situation. Now, watch this. Love is not the qualification for marriage. Every divorced person I told you was in love with that person that they're now divorced from. So it can't be love that keeps a marriage together. Love does not guarantee success in a marriage. Mm -mm. Love does not bring, listen, love does bring happiness, but it doesn't bring what it takes to make a marriage work. <laughs> How's that working out? Who in your marriage, are you in your love or are you in God's love? Because God's love takes no account. It seeks the best in every situation. It withstands under every circumstance and situation. It does. It bears up under it all. <sighs> so you know who love you're operating in. Love doesn't take the count of wrong done to it. 
but you do. So now you know who love you're operating in. I was married for 13 years. My wife at that time messed around me. And I've been mentioning it after I forgave her. I never mentioned it for seven years. And I ain't had the Holy Ghost. Look at that. They like, turn away from that, Pastor. How you did that? Listen to this. The most important thing that makes a marriage work is knowledge. It's just like any, anything else. Right? That plane, you flying a plane and plane going down, you don't know. The reason you can't stop the plane because you have no knowledge of how it works. So if you had knowledge of how it works, you could save the plane and everybody in it. So if you had knowledge about your marriage, and you could save you and the whole family. But you have no knowledge in that area. So that's what keeps a marriage together. It's knowledge. Mm, teacher, hold on. Many people go to the author in your feelings and not in your right mind. Dressed all up, made up, and insane. Yep. That's what happens. Making commitments we know we can't keep. Or in some cases, refuse to keep no matter what. Some people just won't change no matter what. And you said I do. They will not change no matter what. You need to know that person. You can't get married on, on, on your feel. You can't get married on your feelings. You can't get married, you know, I love them. Mm -mm. You need knowledge on how to live with them for the rest of your life. Mm, look at that. My God. Ooh, I got that one. Marriage is not protected by love. Not your love. But God love, there's no law against it. So now you know who love you're operating in. The two of you. Okay. It's not God's love. It takes no account of the suffered wrong. But you do. Let the word find you. Okay. Let the word find you. I thought you said you had power. Speaking in tongues. Mm-mm. Okay, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Listen, this is good. You need this. You're going to need this. Marriage is not protected by love. Marriage is protected by knowledge. The information teaching I give you will protect you. Listen, if you're listening. The word marriage comes from the word uh, gamel. This is a very interesting word used in the Bible. And, you know, you really can't find the, ten, the real marriage is really not in there, not the word. But listen to this. I'm telling you where it comes from. It comes from the word gemel. This is interesting word in the Bible. The word comes from the word gem or gem is a fusion. A gem is a fusion. The word fusion means the process or result of joining two or more things together to form a single entity. 
Did y'all get this? Pay attention. I'm almost there. Listen. This is very interesting. I said, the Bible, the word comes, the word marriage comes from the, uh, the word uh, gem. Which, and the gem is a, is a, you know, it's a precious stone, right? Right? A gem is a, is a fusion. What it is, is it a fusion. The word fusion means, listen, the process, that gem is a process of result of joining two or more things together to form a single entity. So gems like diamonds, sapphires, emeralds, rubies, all of these listen, products come from heat and pressure. All of those things are produced by heat and pressure. Listen to this. Interesting why the word used, why God used that word for marriage, Jim, or Gamal, right? So marriage is a fusion that made that is made valuable under pressure. <laughs> I can't. I cannot. So marriage is a fusion that's made valuable under pressure. Oh, my God. So it takes heat to make a good marriage. Just like that sword. In order for you to have that sword, it got to be put in the fire. For it to be tested, <sighs> refined, tempered for what? Battle. So when you go out and will it, it won't break because we got all the imperfections out of it. That hey, was a cobra. Hold on. <laughs> you know what's spitting cobra? I'm sorry, y'all. It happens up here. <laughs> here we go. Listen to this. So. Marriage is a fusion that made valuable under pressure. You know, y'all want to leave when the pressure is gone. So it takes the heat, listen, to make a good marriage. A diamond is the hardest substance in the world. And it takes another diamond to cut it. Nothing on earth can cut a diamond except another diamond. So marriage is a fusion of two Distinctly different humans, male and female, into one flesh. So marriage requires a lifetime of fusion to be completed. Mm-mm-mm, y'all ain't ready. So marriage requires a lifetime until death do us part of fusion to be completed. I'm working on mine, and I'm still chasing after my wife. Yes, I am. I'm in pursuit. Of happiness. Glory to God. Y'all only understand it. <laughs> and then when I stand before God, it's perfection because it's, listen, because it's what? Innocent. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. So a true marriage is supposed to get stronger under pressure and not weaker. Oh, oh. Damn, I'm going to throw that one on out there for you. Man, I thought all America would be like, yes, yes. Woo. (laughs) I'm trying. You're going to be prepared, though. I'm telling you. Woo. You taking it in? All right. Got to. Don't just let anybody step to you. Mm -mm. Qualify him. Where are you going? 
Because I might not want to go where you're going. I want to know where you're going. Do you know where you're going? Because I'm not following you. I'm designed and built to follow. All right? I know you got that. Come on up, teacher. Come on up now. Listen, I didn't go over that much. Listen, see, this is good. You got to stretch out a little bit. God's institution of marriage is only successful by heaven's standard, not the world. Okay? This is important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So if you ain't get anything else out of it. A true marriage. That's the key word. A true marriage is supposed to get stronger under pressure, not weaker. Teacher. Hey, teacher. Yes, sir. Still pursuing you. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. It's a lifelong I'm journey. In, I'm enjoying oh. the pursuit of you. Chasing after you. Towards right. me. <laughs> That's biblical. Can we really give God a hand clap of praise? Let me finish it. Uh, this is how much he does. He loves us. I really want us to understand that when it comes to marriage, it was so key, Pastor, the one word, knowledge. Just from my experience, uh, because I'm a person that doesn't like to take the long route if, you know, if I don't have to. But if I have to, I'll take the long route and the most painful route if I have to. And if it's part of my process, I know it's necessary. But if it's not part of the process and it's not necessary, I'm a person who don't like to waste time. With marriage, with um, knowledge, that's the thing we don't take the time to gain the knowledge of the individual. I was sharing with uh, Minister Shamir either this morning or last night because we've been talking throughout this weekend and also Minister Al about why we are not our relationship or just as an individual, we're not developing properly. I said it's one word, it's disobedience. Disobedience create, and that's in a relationship in marriage. It's in a relationship with friends and family. It's because, and I was just getting ready this morning and, and God just brought it to me. He said, disobedience brings alienation. It brings a separation. It alienates you from. In a marriage, when you don't obey, and when I say obey, I'm saying the responsibility as a wife or a, a husband, the relationship, when we're not walking according to the standards of our marriage, then it creates a gap, and that gap grows and grows and grows, and you continue to grow further away from each other. This is how I was telling how particular I was of raising my children. And this is why, Pastor, I said, I'm a person who is very intentional. I'm very intentional with everything that I do. So in my relationship, I was observing him. And 
I decided this, Abby, is that what is the thing about him that I cannot live with? I did that before we got married. See, but prior, I didn't. So your marriage will fail because you don't have the knowledge to live with the person. I observed, Fredlina, I observed his temperament. I observed his caring or lack of. I, I observe his interaction. I observe his character. I observe the wholeness of this person. And I said, this is the only thing that may be something that will cause me to get my emotions. But I can deal with it. Because this is not about him. This is something in me. And, there, and something so insignificant. He was a person who was very aggressive vocally when he felt strongly about something. So for me, because I'm more reserved and more calm about it, and then the things that I would consider to be not a big deal, he would. But I had to understand that what's a big deal to you, it really is. And I had to respect that. Okay, but what's a big deal to me, I need you to respect that. See, long as whatever you think is a big deal doesn't infringe on me. Just because you like the coffee cup on the right side of the table and I happen to pick it up and not put it back in that same place, while you're going to get all vocal and very intense and it creates an argument, now that's a problem because that's a small thing. See, but these are the small things that we make extremely large, that it turns into an argument. So I can't come to talk to you because I know it's going to be an argument. So you don't talk to me and I don't talk to you. No, we're going to talk because it's necessary. Because this shouldn't be the thing that causes us not to be one. See, the thing about it, Pastor Cleave, to me, or when you get married, before you get married, there should be a process already happening because this is where the direction that you're thinking about going. And... We have in our marriage from day one is that our thoughts, this is marriage, your thoughts come together as one. See, this is why I'm always thinking about how you think. And you're doing, and you're doing the same thing. So we never catch this. We never clash, but there's always an opportunity to. And when we see what is possible to bring a clashing together, we both come and snatch it down That's before, right. oh, come That's on, right. before it erupts. That's right. See, because we, we intentionally know our mission is to be one. That's right. No matter the cost. No matter the cost. No matter how I feel physically or mentally, that our mission is to always maintain the oneness of our mind and how we think. 
teach. You can come on. Just, 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 let, just I want to say because you're right in there. Be one with him because yeah, I, I know one. you just can't because help yourself. Because that's how God. Uh-huh. This is why He is when God has joined together. That's the joining. Yeah. See, if God joins it, we're gonna. I need to know what yeah. is that thing that bothered you about yes. me. Yes. And then what? And I couldn't keep it because I wanted to keep it. But because I care about her, yes. I'm willing to release it. Yes. See, now that yes. brings the harmony. That's now God is joining yes. the two together now. Yes. See, he can't join. See, a lot of times we he can't join. He's not joining the two together because you have to be submissive. Oh, that's so good. See, there is what we to know, one another. I just need to come closer. All right. What we know is this is that we have an assignment. See, when you don't have an assignment, see, this is a group assignment. Our assignment is a kingdom assignment. Our marriage is kingdom. And when your marriage is not kingdom, this is why it says that you have to surrender. See, your trust and confidence. Minister, were you reading, Minister Brian? Trust and confidence. It's a personal mm-hmm. individual. There's a personal trust and confidence in God. See, I have to surrender yep. my trust and my confidence. I, See, because there. the first clinging that has to happen is your clinging with the Heavenly Father. Has to be. There's no way I can cling to you. There's no way. I don't care how you think your marriage is working. It's a lie. True because love. if you're not if you have not bonded yourself Jesus. together with God first, there's right. no way I can bond with you. Yeah. Got to be chasing, pursuing him. This Amen. is why there is so much disruption in the marriage because there's not an absolute bonding, bonding. with the Heavenly Father right. first. That clinging has to happen yep. first. Because, see, and that's the journey. And the knowledge. See, I had a knowledge in my prior marriage. I had a knowledge. Look, I had a knowledge that we wouldn't be one. I had a knowledge. I had a knowledge. Knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to. I had to assess. I'm always assessing, and also addressing. I am assessing and addressing. See, you can assess something, a situation, and then you don't address it. That's right. See, if I don't confront what it is, because I think it's going to be an argument. See, it's already an argument. It's already an argument in your silence. Uh Uh-oh. I had to really set aside and assess, first of all, myself. What, what do I need to get closer? What is blocking me? Look, what is blocking me from my assignment? But we're not willing to take, see, the time shouldn't be the time in your marriage when you're preparing to be one. The time should be spent outside of premarital of 
mean gaining knowledge. How long? And that was a good thing, Mr. B. How the word of God says, how long will you, how long will you be with me and really not know me? Or how long do I have to bear you? Mm-mm. See, God can bear you forever. Absolutely. But the thing about it is, it's no benefit to you. He said, how long will I have to bear you in this behavior? That's right. How? He was presented to the individual to change their way of doing. How long? How long will you be hawked between two opinions? Choose. It's the timing. And it's working against you. Because you are not on assignment because I have to bear you. How long? You're, you're focused on, I'm, I'm trying to bear you and your, it's our situation. How long do I have to keep this being my focus, right. when do we come together and be about our father's business? Right. And not the issues of the business in the home. Yeah. Marriage is so sacred. It it's is. a beautiful union. Yep. See, but it has to be orchestrated by God and not you. And it has to be a submission to one another. Yes. I have to submit to her, and she submits to me. So when we're both submissive, there's no conflict that can't be handled. Because you actually care. I'm I'm glad she told me that I was loud. (laughs) Not knowing that was my gifting, though, in in the kingdom. (laughs) But I was abusing it. But anyway. Yes, yes. I was abusing it. But that was a small, see, these are small things. These are small things. He's kind. Always loving and ready to forgive. He's very generous. Always giving. Always thinking. He's always, he always held me on his mind. See, again, it's the knowledge that I gained about him and the purpose I saw in him. And it was my first assignment is to get him to see his assignment. She's designed to work but a the wife work of the man. A wife. That's right. A godly wife. She sees a king that doesn't see himself as king. No. No. And I see, but there is a knowing he has all the qualities. And not only that, I know he has the will to do. Not only would want to do, but would have the desire and be up for the challenge to do. 